You know what, Jack? You know what's been an amazing milestone for me? Is I have been married for over 20 years. Wow. Just celebrated my 20th wedding anniversary. Congratulations. Me. That's huge. Thank you. That's freaking huge. It's such a long time. <laughs> Most people don't make it there, too. Like, let's not, let's not discount that. That's not only a, a long expanse of time, that's also, like, it's impressive to keep keep that together, you know? Well, you know, it, it, it's funny. I, I once got a piece of advice. Um, I got this advice. On my wedding day, my wife and I, we were sitting at our table, and uh, and my Uncle Corky, I come from New England, for those that don't know, and uh, Corky is a real name in New England. <laughs> I was going to say, I only know it from the movie, but oh well, let's continue. <laughs> you know, it's a real name, Uncle, yep, Uncle Corky, in Aunt Virginia. Okay. So, okay. And, and when I say they're from Connecticut, there's two types of people from Connecticut. There's very wealthy people usually, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. or because it's like a suburb of New York, you know, they're nice people, normal people. Then there's very hillbilly people, like very, very, like Uncle Corky owned a pig farm. And one suit that he had from 1976, and when he was at my wedding in 2004, he showed up in that same wedding, 1976 wedding suit. Good mileage. But he told me that, <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. And that's this is probably the best advice that I could give any any youngsters out there looking to tie the knot. Never go to bed angry. Well, yeah. That's it. Work it out. Don't go to... Work it out. Figure it out. Figure your shit down. And go to bed happy because if you go to bed angry and you wake up angry, you'll forget a lot and you'll, you'll remember your anger. And you'll continue your anger throughout the day. So just never go to bed angry. Stay up and finish it. And other than that, believe it or not, you know what? The greatest thing I think that's helped my marriage or I think is the advice that I would give anyone. And it's less funny, this intro. This is serious shit. Yeah. Um, yeah. Is how are you doing? How was your day? Oh, yeah. Just check in. Check mm -hmm. in. I would do that when I travel. And, uh, and uh, you know, even now, post-COVID, working from home, I literally never leave my home office anymore. I never travel for business because I don't need to anymore. Everything's remote. So even then, even though I see her all the time, and my wife work is kind of a weird job. Not a weird job. She's a hospital supervisor, so she works nights and weekends and She's home a lot. Sometimes five days stretches in a row. Every day I still ask, how was your day? No, it's good stuff. It's good advice, right? Uh, <laughs> so I'm I'm just slightly behind you, interestingly enough. I also got married in 04, but in the summertime. So um, yeah, that's yeah. interesting. That's, that's right. Yeah, you're 20 years too. I'm coming up on it, right? I can't say we've gotten there yet. Um, but I, I will say <laughs> over the 20 years I had to learn, because we also do that checking in, uh, like, how are you? And I had I learned I realized at one point maybe this is like five or six years in that we both mean different things when we're asking the question, because I would my wife would ask me how are you doing and I would say you know I'm I've had a stressful day but I, I'm feeling pretty good oh okay I wouldn't get into much detail and I would ask her the question she'd say well I got up a little late and so I really didn't have to and I would get the description of the day. <laughs> The play-by-play. -play. And I realized we, of every activity. we were both irritated at each other because I would be asking the question wanting to know how she's doing emotionally. She would ask me the question because she wanted to know the details of my day, and neither of us were happy with either person's answer. <laughs> so, Oh, you know what? It's funny you say that, too, because that's like this. That's my life. That's like that's exactly right for me. Like, 
It's the same thing. Like, God forbid I ask that question when she comes home from work. <laughs> Do I have to tell you everything? <laughs> yeah, like, that seems like a lot. But no, it, oh, it, it can be. It can be. And gross. Gross because it's hospital. Oh, it's just no, gross. Just, uh, yeah. Well, on that note, welcome to a less surgical episode of Demo Jockeys. <laughs> welcome to Demo Jockeys. Uh, I'm your host, Jack Cochran. And with me, as always, is my host, Adam DiTomaso. Hello, hello, everyone. Hello, everyone. We're really excited for this episode and for next episode. We have yeah. the author of the book we've been going through doing discovery. We have Peter Cohen on the show. For those of you who don't know Peter Cohen, so yes, author of doing discovery. There's the guy right there. Appreciate that focus <laughs> in. Uh, founder of the second der derivative, author of Great Demo, which is now in its third edition, and Doing Discovery, which came out in 2022. The third edition of Great Demo came out in 2023, so just last year. Both books you should certainly pick up. Um, mm -hmm. He does a lot of authoring, as we actually talk on in the interview that you're going to hear. Actually, this part probably next week. He does a lot of blog posts, a lot of resources on his website, greatdemo.com. You can find information about him there. You can follow him on LinkedIn, always posting all kinds of great content. And we hopped right into, I think, a, a really good conversation, kind of continuing what we were talking about last week, about just really what does it mean to more of just like connect with someone. That's kind of what I got out of it. Yeah. Like the, the honest truth of connecting with someone through discovery and the impact that that has when it's done right, when it's done wrong. It's, uh, I, I, I took a lot away from the conversation. No, it was a great conversation. And you know what? Let's, let's not waste any time. Let's jump right into it and into the conversation. All right, let's people. go to the interview. Peter Cohen, welcome to Demo Jockeys. We are very excited to have you on the show. Thanks so much for joining us. It is my delight to be here. Thanks a lot. Yeah. Adam and I just spent the last episode, which if you haven't heard Adam and I talk about the book, it's okay. You can get it after this episode. I think this conversation is better to have first. I'd normally say go back, but yes. no, let's stick with this interview. Before uh, before we go further, though, I understand that mm -hmm. one of you is going to work for a doobie, and I'm willing to double that salary. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the adobe. I forgot we talked oh, about Oh, that's that. a great slip up. I'm going to put that on a t-shirt. That was a thing of beauty. Summit. That was truly a thing of beauty. <laughs> You can keep that it. in or cut it out. Either way, I'm good. Oh, oh we're totally I'm not, keeping I'm not that cutting in. That Are you out. kidding? No, there you go. no I, I think that's that, that's the best part of, of conversations like these is that uh, a lot of times people feel like, oh, well, everything's got to be super serious. No. no we're all humans. No. It's the best part of like learning to be an SE is understanding that everyone in your audience, everyone you're talking to ever is a human being and wants to get a good laugh or, you know be a real person <laughs> exactly that <laughs> so the, the first question that we like to ask when we've got the author of the book we've been going through on the show is what's normally it'd be what's changed since you wrote it but it's been about a year so i'd say what's been what was the most inspirational thing that you kind of put into it what's kind of your favorite part of doing discovery that you would say read this first if someone had to do say do the last thing first uh, someone said that once is pretty great what would be the place to start? What's the best concept you think pulling out of doing discovery? That's a really intriguing question. I think the analogy that I developed um, regarding hosting a dinner party and you're working with somebody who is in theory going to be organizing the dinner party with you or for you um, 
was designed to uh, it was designed to help people understand that doing discovery is or can be a much richer experience, a more complex experience, and the uh, the impact of not doing it sufficiently or well can have far-reaching uh, outcomes. And we all know that intuitively, but what I was trying to do is to make it as concrete as possible. So I think that that would be the starting point. Yeah. No, I, I love the story and the analogy, which it's weird because you're right. We know these things, but until it's laid out so plainly, we're like, well, of course, I'd never do that. And there, there's also, I think, believe that, you know, the doctor analogy as well would be, I think you said that'd be malpractice if you went and you try exactly. started treating someone without, without actually first going through and doing the discovery on someone. Uh, that made it very concrete in my mind that, yeah, this isn't something we can skip. This is something that's very important throughout. Yeah, and that's, Absolutely. I think that's um, one of the biggest challenges in this whole exercise is everybody talks about how important it is. But very few people, very few organizations, very few sales methodologies have ever put together concrete definitions of what information needs to be captured. And then even more, uh, more challenging, how to, how to go about getting it. So mm -hmm. that was actually, well, the joke I have, which is a serious joke, is I should have written this book first. <laughs> <laughs> well, you just stole my thunder because I was thinking like, it's funny, this is almost like a chicken and an egg type situation. It, it definitely is. And, and the story is, um, it's my fault. <laughs> um, I had, the, I had the good luck to work for an organization where most of our senior salespeople were actually really, really good at doing discovery. And I was a, uh, at the time I was a young, initially young product manager, and I'd gone out with um, one of our senior sales reps, a woman named Carol Frischman, who was freaking terrific. And we were visiting uh, pharmaceutical companies um, uh, around Research Triangle Park in North Carolina. We sold software specifically targeted for medicinal chemists and pharma research. Um, good luck with that. And um, we're in the lab with these guys, and... Carol says, I want to ask you guys just to work through, walk me through your workflow. Where do you start? Where the, you know, lay everything out and help me understand what you do and what kind of information you're trying to collect and how you want to work with it. And I kind of looked at her sharply in the meeting and I, I didn't say anything because she'd already kicked me once. Um, and that evening at, uh, at a restaurant, I said, why did you ask that question? You already know all that. She says, yes, and it, I can't do her wonderful North Carolina accent because she came from North Carolina, but you can hear it. You know, she said, yes, yes, I do. She said, but they don't know it, and I need them to know that I understand their situation, their specific situation, accurately and clearly. And that was my one of my first aha points. And so I had the, the luxury of working with sales reps that, by and large, did a terrific job in discovery. What, what we didn't do a good job with were the resulting demonstrations, because we were still doing, you know, what I call uh, stunningly awful harbor tours. <laughs> um, <Yeah>. So <laughs> it wasn't until I really began to teach great demo workshops and began to realize that my assumptions were decidedly incorrect, that people already knew how to do discovery and, and what needed to be collected. So there you go. Wow. So that was, and that brought us to, yeah, great demo, which was an excellent book, which again, I mentioned before, 
got me started in my pre-sales career. So edition one to go way back when. Wow. Holy cow. <laughs> so you're almost as old as I am. <laughs> I am. I am. If I t as, Why do you think I wear a hat? Because I wish I had your luxurious head of hair. There you go. There um, you go. <laughs> solve a mystery for our viewers. But, uh, you know, and in, it's, it's interesting, too. One of the things I liked about this book is, and I think we talked about this. I mean, we did talk about this before. But I think it's very valid now is this is a textbook. This is not a storybook. And I and my question to you is, in, in reading a lot of books recently around our pre-sales world, and I'm sure you've read quite a few as well, as well yourself, you took a definitive turn to make this a textbook, in, in my opinion, like consciously. Like, was there, a, was there a motivation behind that? Did you Were you more after the idea of making a reference, a piece of referenceable material than necessarily just a training book? If that makes yeah, sense. it does. And um, I have read far too many books on sales and pre-sales and marketing and on and on that skim the surface and never provide the methods on how to actually execute. And so, um, you know, I, when I initially drift, <laughs> you must have a 2003 uh, your copy of Great Demo on your shelf somewhere. I do. Um, I, I couldn't find it for this meeting, but I'm going it's to. It's in there somewhere. It's, it's, it's in the <laughs> it's garage in the box. Um, but, oh, it has to be. But I, I, when I went back and looked at the first and second editions of Great Demo, I thought, you know, this, this, the concepts are laid out, but what's missing are the, are the how. So to a certain degree, I, I address the why. Why would you want to do something a certain way? And the what, you know, what is it that needs to be done? But I was a little bit skimpy on how specifically should one execute these. So I, I wrote these as textbooks, as manuals or guidebooks, um, and peppered them with the exercises, with the, ex the specific intent that people should actually do them. Because, well, here's an, here's an interesting study. It turns out that when you read a book, you'll take a, a book, that you're trying to learn from, not a storybook, uh, you'll take away approximately 10% of the content with each reading. And, you know, when you think about it, this is why we underline things, we highlight things, we put sticky notes on pages and so forth. Um, when you actually try something out for yourself, the retention level goes up to about 70%, 70 or 75%. So by putting in the exercises and gently but firmly suggesting that people actually try them out, um, I'm trying to get people to to succeed. And, you know, I will say this, it's working. I My favorite part of the book, or one of the things that it actually, it's, it's funny because in my current role, um, I'm, I like to say I'm in pre-sales, but more for consulting now. And when you talk about doing discovery and pre-sales, particularly my it's interesting, the organization I work for, I'm kind of a new blood, if you will. I'm, I'm doing technology that they normally didn't do. So I'm helping them break into a new market. This, this has to do and with I this motion or? No, okay. no, not that motion. <laughs> I love the doobie jokes. Yes, they, and that's okay because we don't have kids watching. What's that old joke? I, I once rolled my Honda, but I couldn't keep it lit. Yes. <laughs> And I ride motorcycles, so that would be a joke that will be told uh -oh. many times uh -oh. <laughs> that I'm writing down. But back to the book, and it's funny because I'm having to teach 
people the value of discovery within my own organization. And not necessarily the value of the organ of discovery, but what discovery can lead to, because they're used to a perspective where it was very, okay, I don't need to do discovery because I know what I need to build for you, and I'm going to be prescriptive on how you build that. But now we're in a situation where we have to do discovery to figure out what you're actually going to pay for. And in, that's more of a perspective from marketing, I would say, than necessarily like e-com where you're building a website, you're building a checkout engine, you know what you're doing. In marketing, it's a little bit more lighter. We got to do a lot more discovery. And my point is, is this book has allowed me to pull out some key concepts to tell to those people. But also, in building our discovery documents from scratch, we now have at least a template, some questions, some direction to go to, and a referenceable point that allows us to have a launch pad. Now, I'm a guy who's been doing pre-sales for 20 years. I've done a lot of discovery. And all you folks out there that are fairly new to our industry listening to three old guys talk about this, we still go back to the well. We still go back to the books. And I highly recommend for you to engage with your customers in discovery using the, these processes to get it done and using these checklists, if you will. Perfect. It's yeah, it's been a big help and it's been a big value to me. So I'm I'm curious, what have you what specifically have you been applying? We're, what have I been applied? changing the interview around? That's my turn to interview you. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. I, I'm just gonna I sit mean, back here and let you biggest, guys uh, swap interviewing yeah. back and forth here. Well, no, you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna answer this same question after oh, me, Jack. Okay. Because oh. if I have to answer, <laughs> you have to answer. And honestly, the biggest thing I've been using, as I said, is my cheat sheet, discovery documents, sales and opportunity size, cycle length, opportunity size, licensing, perception of the company and the market. Mm. I pretty much stole that stuff from you. Because leverage. We use we use to... the word leveraged. Other authors steal. Leverage, leverage. <laughs> <laughs> I like the word steal. <laughs> but I. It's funny because there was a moment where like somebody looked at me and went, "Wow, this is really good." And I chuckled and like, "Yeah," because I, I, I ripped it out of a book. Didn't say that to him, but I chuckled to myself. And particularly when you're you're getting in and you talk about your note taking and axiom and just the different exercises writing the documentation, the discovery space, major pains related, demographic environment, that structure was also very helpful. And it's very helpful to me to explain to salespeople who are very good at their job. I'm not taking away anything from them, but going into a new market where it's completely 180 to what you're used to doing, you got to learn the discovery points. You got to learn how to do the discovery effectively. I just, I have to add this. I just did a blog post today where I asked the, the uh, musical question, what is a happy ears score? Any guess? <laughs> I know what a happy ears score is. So, the, oh, that's when everybody's in the right key. Uh, uh, is it? Is it one? Is it one? What's it one? One. One, oh, one three, four five. One, it's not one four five. Is the all the majors? You throw. There's one of the minors. You can, one, you, I've red herring you. Are these the for those of you who cannot see, both of these gentlemen have guitars behind them, and <laughs> they've taken this as a musical question, which it okay. could be, but we very no, literal. The, yeah. The, yeah. <laughs> the answer is it's the difference between uh, the probability of an opportunity going to close as estimated by a. Inex an inexperienced salesperson versus a veteran pre-sales person. That's the happy ear score. <laughs> yeah. Ah, that makes a lot of sense. We were talking about that yesterday, actually. Jack. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, if, if, I, if I can answer, if I can answer the question that you asked, and extend, I would Please, love to actually yeah. kind of hear, hear a story based on this because this has to have come, 
I'd love to hear the horror stories about when this wasn't applied well. For me, the biggest piece and the piece that I have been pressing on with my team is about competitive differentiation, specifically the line that you say, the idea that if something's the idea that if it's not something that the customer cares about, it's not a competitive differentiator. In that, fact, it's a negative. It's a negative. You're buying it, can it back. Very well, be a negative. Yeah, you're. You're. Yeah, exactly that. Yeah, you. You may have won, and then all of a sudden they're like, "Actually, I don't need that. That sounds too complicated." A hundred percent. That if if they don't care about it, it doesn't matter how great you think that feature is. It doesn't matter if every other customer that you have uses it. If they don't care about it, it's not competitive. It's not a feature you want to even talk about. I love live, to hear from we you. We live in um, northern Northern California, where, it, as far as I can tell, it's been raining constantly forever. So whenever somebody, um, if you go to a if you go to a new car dealership and they say, "Hey, it's got a sunroof," <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, different reason. But here in Las Vegas, sunroofs don't often don't sell too well either. It's <laughs> no, yeah, that's because the sun is only about what twelve feet away, if I recall correctly. So it's yeah, you you got to watch when you stretch. It's pretty close. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I would love to hear kind of on that piece on competitive differentiation, I guess, either if you have an anecdote or kind of get into a little bit about that point on competitive differentiation around the features that you're discovering when you are discovering something that you're like, hey, this is an important thing, but maybe they haven't talked about that. Is it ever okay to bring that up? And if so, why or how would you do that? Yeah, so this is this is a terrific how do I want to begin this story? We had a competitor years ago, same company. We had a competitor that had a pretty good core offering, but they missed, you know, certain capabilities that we had learned were very, very important. These are, these are, go with me on this, chemistry-specific capabilities. So if I use words like tautomers and isomers, just don't gag and, and run for the exit. But um, what we can way, pretend we know what you're talking about. We've, we've done go. this before. It's okay. What, yeah, what is, we're with you. Yeah, clearly. What it came mm -hmm. down to was um, <laughs> these, this competitor was beginning to make some headway uh, in sales cycle against one of uh, for, with one of my existing customers. And so I met with a customer and we had a conversation and I said, what do you think? And they, and, which is something you can ask, by the way, <laughs> about this competitor. And they said, you know, it looks pretty good and it's less expensive than you. And I said, yeah. That, that's exactly correct. Um, question for you: How important is the ability? So I just I just put this out. This is before I'd learned the essence of a bias question, but I just put it out there and said, "So how important to you are is the ability to be able to store and search over tautomers and isomers?" And they said, "Well, that's that's actually a surprising large number of uh, of the compounds that we needed to store in the database. It's what we did." And I said, "Well." then you should take a careful look, I said, because I don't work for this competitor, I'm not exactly sure, but you should check to see and make sure that they can actually store those capabilities or those, those structures in the database. The guy got back to me about a day later and said, you're right, they don't. <laughs> so, so introducing it, the subtlety here is introducing it in the form of a question as opposed to a statement. Mm -hmm. So from yeah. there, I developed what, what I've called the bias question, which has quite a bit of, of uh, pull to it, if you will. So it starts off by, it has basically three elements and a reward. <laughs> and the first element is you draw the comparison to another similar customer. Yeah, he's finding it in the book right now. So you say, 
you look thoughtful, like you've never thought of this before. And you say, you know. No, I was a, actually trying to hold back a cough. There you go. <laughs> there's a number of other customers in very, very similar situations, what you've outlined for us so far. So there's your drawing the, the similarity that found that the ability to do blank and you describe the capability enabled them to. And then you describe the benefit statements for those people. So in this case, it would be many of the other customers we worked with um, in very similar situations to what you've told us so far, found that the ability to be able to manage and store tautomers and isomers in a database enabled them to be able to search, find, and store structures much more richly. And they didn't sacrifice the risk of missing structures when they were doing searches that, that could become the next blockbuster drug. So that's part two. Part, uh, part three, well, sorry, that's parts two and three. <laughs> and then the reward is a tangible gain. And you say many of our other customers mm -hmm. found that they were able to store as much as one to two percent of their structures that otherwise would have been missed uh, in searching and, and storage in their databases. Um, and that meant, you know, one to two percent that really gave the opportunity to find that next blockbuster drug. So then you pause. So you have a tangible metric, which they can get their hands on. Then you pause and you ask, is this something that might also be useful for you in your practice? And the beautiful thing about that test question, and the use, by the way, the use of the word also is, is sort of compelling, um, mm -hmm. is it gives them an out. If they say, no, yeah. we, don't have enough, we don't have enough of those structures, we don't care, okay, you say to yourself, Fine, <laughs> and you move on to something <laughs> else. On. But on the but, other hand, yeah, go ahead. So that, but that moving on, I gotta say, I have seen that not done. I, I once yes. saw someone beautifully doing something very similar to what you'd outlined. They said, "Yeah, this, 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 this is a capability with this benefit." And, and maybe they they were uh, they'd been through one of your your courses. So maybe they had learned this directly from you. I don't know. But I thought it was very well done. They said, "Would this." You know, would this be of interest to you? And they said, no, not really. The person said, well, if it ever would be, here's what it is. And went on oh, for yeah, five yeah. more oh. minutes. <laughs> I was sitting here going, you asked the question and they said, no, why did we do this? Boom. <laughs> so you got to be careful. If, if you ask the question, you got to be willing to accept the no and move yeah. on. And it's actually, it's yes. delightfully important information because if, if they're telling you no, that is... That negates the capability. It's, it's a it's a non-differentiator, and therefore you need to mm -hmm. move on, and you make a note in your in your notes that that was the case. Now, on the other hand, if the prospect says, "Yeah, yeah, actually, I could see how that'd be really important," then your next phrase should be something like, "Well, terrific. Let's plan to include that as one of the specific capabilities that we can show you in the demo." And so you're cementing it in place, adding it to their either you know verbal or written list of capabilities that in theory they need to be able to solve that problem so that's called a bias question and that is a terrific technique i i love the ending of what you did there as well i don't want to skip past this because i've seen a lot of discovery where the questions get asked the response happens and the next words out of the person doing discoveries mouth is great they write something <laughs> down they ask the next question but i love what you did there because you asked the question, confirmed that something they wanted to see, and then you said, we will make sure to show you that. So they understood why you were asking and what their next outcome would be. Why don't we do more of that? I feel like that's a very skipped 
skill that should be almost as a way to circle back on every discovery question. You know, the lack of most people's it's not an ability. It's they just don't. They just forget to summarize. People don't mm. summarize. I had the pleasure and luck to work with somebody who structured his his verbal paragraphs by saying, here's what I'm, I'm going to talk about. <laughs> he'd talk about it and then he'd say, that's what I just talked about. And he would he would close it off with with a small but crisp summary. And I've, I've realized how important that is for almost any type of conversation. So, you know, even in a dialogue like this, I'll say, you know, something like, does that, you know, is that sufficient or does that close that out or, or something to put a bookend <laughs> um, around that part of the conversation? Yeah, doing discovery, you need to feed back. Um, people talk about it all the time. Yeah, you need to feed back what you heard. But when I listen to Discovery Conversations recordings, it's the sound of crickets in an empty room as far as summaries and feedback. Well, that was part one. We're going to have two parts to that. Tune in on the fifth Thursday of February for the next part of our interview. It's just weird to say that. That's it's ridiculous. just weird to say. Silly leap year. I mean... Five February, five five February. Five, please Thursday don't curse us with more February. than one. Five, five the fifth Thursday of February. We'll be back for the second half. That's a tune right on in. And as we talked about last time, uh, if you haven't had a chance to yet, join us over on our Slack community. You can do slack.demojockeys.com or go to demojockeys.com and there's a link there to it. We are having a poll open still, getting your opinion on actually doing some backstage we're calling the demo jockeys backstage where if you'd want you'd be able to join in and just listen in and chat with us in the conversation while we're doing these recordings so next time you know whoever we're interviewing with in the future you'd be able to actually hop in and, and add a thought or add a question in that you want to get asked so uh we're still checking to see if that's of interest so if you have a thought if you want to do it join the slack community there and and uh let us know your opinion let us know your thoughts We'd love to have you join. We would love to have you join. Join, But meanwhile, if you haven't, please help us out. Follow the episode wherever you're at. If you're on YouTube, please do. Uh, we don't ask for this very much, but please do like the episode. Throw in a comment and subscribe and tell your friends. It really helps us, helps out the show a lot. And we'll... Uh, like, follow, subscribe. Like, follow, and subscribe. And hit that bell. And uh, <laughs> Hit that bell. <laughs> and we'll see everybody next time. Take care. Take care, everyone.